Welcome to the 18th episode of the TIF podcast, Training in Public Health. I am Dino Motti, Public Health Registrar in the West Midlands, United Kingdom. The TIF podcast is aimed at offering a panoramic of training options, career paths and opportunities to registrars and people interested in a career in public health and thinking of joining the training. We do this usually by exploring the personal experiences, professional life stories and advice of trainees and former trainees. This is a special episode recorded before the Genomics Masterclass organized by Health Education West Midlands that will take place on the 28th of November in Birmingham to explore the implications of genomics for public health. We're honored to have here with us Tom Fowler, who will be one of the faculty teaching at the Masterclass. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Uh, Hi, Dino. So um, I'm Tom Fowler. I'm a public health consultant by background uh, and I am Deputy Chief Scientist at Genomics England. Uh, Genomics England is the delivery agency of the 100,000 Genomes Project, which is uh, a large government initiative uh, working with the NHS that's got a number of aims, both research, commercial and clinical. But in, in essence, it's about bringing whole genome and sequencing technology uh, to the NHS. And uh, can I ask you a bit about your training and career path to start before we begin discussing genomics and its role in public health? Um, Certainly. So I... Uh, I sort of um, uh, started uh, with a PhD in behavioural genetics a long time ago in Cardiff University, uh, uh, and that was sort of had a focus on adolescent behaviour, uh, and in particular it included some of my interests in um, alcohol use, smoking, uh, and other such things, which I think really got me interested in in public health and, and actually very much the ideas about how you move from sort of a research evidence base into practice to making a difference. And I was sort of at the stage where I was looking around about what to do next with um, my my career. Uh, And a friend of mine who is now a a, um, consultant epidemiologist with Public Health England uh, suggested to me that I thought about public health as an option. Uh, So I, I, I... thought about it. I thought that sounded quite interesting. Uh, I didn't think I would necessarily get in, uh, but I thought I would I would give it a go. Uh, and I, I actually got a training place in the West Midlands. So that was very, very different for me, I think, from uh, uh, anything I'd experienced before. Uh, but during my training, I had a, a number of interesting placements. Um, so I, I did specialised commissioning. Uh, I did some work at the uh, region, then regional government office on sort of built environment and uh, aspects like that. Uh, but I also did spend some time at the Department of Health. Uh, uh, where I spent a little bit of time seconded into the sort of behavioural economics nudge unit. I also spent uh, a a big chunk of time with the immunisation branch, uh, working on public health outcomes and other aspects of that. Uh, And because of that experience, um, I actually... uh, then sort of applied to be a public health registrar based with the sort of what was then the new chief medical officer, Dame Sally Davis. Uh, and I was lucky enough to be uh, the sort of editor of her first two reports on the state of 
the sort of annual reports on the state of public health. Uh, one was a sort of data-driven one, and the other was on uh, antimicrobial resistance, uh, which had then a, a number of impacts sort of going off from that, uh, which um, Dame Sally sort of then drove, including uh, the UN and the WHO um, declarations about antimicrobial resistance. So really exciting to be there at the start of that. Um, I, I finished that and went off to get my first sort of job, which was a locum regional epidemiologist uh, uh, or consultant epidemiologist, and that was in the West Midlands. Uh, but then the opportunity to work in um, the 100,000 Genomes Project came up, uh, and I've always had sort of two dual interests. One has been epidemiology and the other has been um, uh, sort of the healthcare, public health, and the actually implementation of evidence. And this seemed like a, a great opportunity. Uh, there, there is actually an infectious disease part of the 100,000 Genomes Project that's actually been led by Public Health England. So I didn't think I was entirely giving up that aspect of it. And um, uh, that really propelled me to here. Uh, and from here, I've been sort of working. I, I started off working within the science team, but I became made deputy. And I've now got responsibility operationally for the um, for the NHS facing part of the program uh, so I have a, a team of people who are working with me to make the sort of the the implementation of the 100,000 genomes project work uh, which is really exciting because we're, we're now moving to the stage where we're looking at what a genomic service of the future will actually look like that's going to be commissioned. So, so as a program, it's been successful in moving this technology from something that um, was essentially a research technology to something that will be a commissioned service in the future. Yeah, and, we, and we'll talk about that uh, later in the questions. Uh, without covering the whole curriculum of the masterclass, just a sneak peek, could you explain what genomics is and how do you think insights into our population's genomes will be used by public health professionals? Oh, I think <laughs> there, there is an interesting question. Um, so I, I think that one of the things um, that genomics actually does, so ra rather than touching on the specifics of genomics, I would just say uh, genomics, um, uh, I, I think, is very much at the forefront of the conceptual thinking about sort of personalized medicine and um, genomic medicine, how we make things more effective, work on an individual basis uh, with people. Uh, and um, for me, uh, I see uh, you know, you know, the relevance and, and, and also hugely important in terms of diagnostics, which uh, then leads to more effective treatment choices. So for me, the reason that I consider that so important is that um, that is, that is, the question is not whether or not uh, uh, treating an individual is public health or not, because clearly that's not, but it's how do you create a system that allows you to implement personalized medicine? Uh, and, and I always think, you know, if you consider Google, Google doesn't actually have an individual watching everybody's um, uh, browser history or search history and uh, coming up with suggestions that are personalized to them. What they, they have is they have algorithms and systems that allow to give that personalized experience. And in effect, I think one of the public health challenges is with these new technologies, which require a much more or have the potential of a much more personalized approach is how we do that on a system and population-wide basis. So for me, that's, that's really one of the sort of key important parts uh, in the sort of 
changes that genomics are actually bringing is that they'll, they'll allow much more precise diagnostics and much more precise treatment and hopefully in the future much more precise um, uh, uh, precise prevention as well uh, and therefore this should all add to that uh, and I very much see that as actually core public health because you're creating sort of how healthcare systems are going to work. I think there are a number of other impacts, I mean I've already mentioned um, Public Health England and the infectious diseases and we can see uh, within PHE the rollout of um, uh, the rollout of uh, uh, the diagnostic services around TB and other things that will help with epidemiological investigations. So there's kind of the direct impact. But I think particularly thinking about the system impact. The other thing I would say is that I actually think genomics is a very good model for us thinking about individual differences and how we interact with that. So I, I had a conversation with a public health friend of mine who was saying, you know, I can see the argument for personalised medicine uh, in, say, cancer screening, but the genomics seems too complicated. Why wouldn't you take that approach with environmental factors? And they said this is a challenge. And actually, I fundamentally agree. Why wouldn't we do it for environmental factors? That's kind of the point. So I think that the genomic stuff helps make us think about um, uh, how we work uh, in an individual difference, taking into account individual differences. Uh, but, but that's just an extension of where we've gone from sort of stratification and various other work that done in public health in understanding the populations that we're dealing with. Yeah, and so I, I, you, you've already you've already answered some of my other questions. But do, so you believe that then genomic data will reach a routine local use, a bit like uh, hospital episode statistics or GP records, or do you think that for a while it will stay in the domain of specialized laboratories, academic institutions, or at the interface? Um, so I think I think at the moment it will be um, the specialized. Um, uh, the specialised interface. I think that for the diagnostics, uh, uh, certainly, and for the cancer treatment, it will uh, the, the the interactions will will be at that specialised setting, and and that's because uh, this is uh, it's still challenging. We're still learning how to use the information. Um, uh, and therefore, and, and, and also the care at the moment actually occurs in that particular situation. Uh, but, but a huge part of the 100,000 Genomes Project has been how we um, move, uh, particularly in rare diseases, uh, the genetic and the genomic testing out of clinical genetics and mainstream it across uh, more widely hospital medicine. Um, and I think that that's the, the, the next phase, but we can already see, I mean, there's already a lot of debate about pharmacogenomics and how that will look in the future and what the implications of that may be. Uh, and of course, that has much more practical implications on a primary care setting. Uh, and there, I think that we will start to see um, uh, it then go out into to primary care. Um, so I think it's about the stage that it is. And I think that, uh, you know, it's very important that we sort of upskill the whole workforce to understand how to use this. Uh, but I'm also very much aware in primary care there are a lot of pressures. And I think that what you'll find is that actually as it becomes more relevant, then it will be taken up much more. And I think taken up with gusto by primary care. But I, I don't feel we're quite there yet. I think the 100,000 genomes will have put it into uh, uh, the hospital medicine. And then the next step will be primary care as we, we learn more. Mm -hmm.
And 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 what? And there, yes, I should probably add there will there there will be exceptions for that, like I'm sure familial hypercholesterolemia and other things where you can already see the impact. I, I'm talking about the more wide genomic use, but um, but it's heading in that direction. And, and that is is a great example to introduce my next question. What about the public? Will genomic information affect our daily life? This this is a very pop question. How far are we from it becoming commonplace? Um, well, I think you know lots of people actually do uh, get. Uh, genomic data from things like 23andMe and others at the moment. Um, I, I think that um, I'm, I'm going to sort of slightly sidestep the question, but but actually also answer it. Uh, I think uh, uh, in in a way that is perhaps most important to emphasise. So when the 100,000 Genomes Project was set up, there was a, there was a lot of concern about bringing the healthcare data and the genomic data to together uh, uh, in the way that we were were doing that. And and I think the manifestation of that that was um, uh, that we actually had as one of our four aims was to be an ethical and transparent program. And uh, while every NHS program is supposed to be ethical and transparent, I think the fact that we had that as a core aim and an ethics advisory committee uh, that was at the centre of that, that independently advised us about issues, reflected the recognition that actually there, there is some concern in the public about this. But from the work that we've done, of course, one of the key things about the 100,000 Genomes Project is that we're working with patients, patients who will be affected by this. Uh, and so you have, uh, I, I worked very closely with our participant panel and uh, was recently uh, with the chair of our participant panel uh, at the King's Fund doing a talk. Uh, and what's absolutely clear to me is that when, the, uh, and this person is the, uh, the, the mother of an affected child, when you're the mother of an affected child and you want a diagnosis, your priorities change and that's, that's not wrong. So she very much wants this genomic data to be used to help her find a diagnosis and potentially new treatments for her child. And, and actually I should also say, because they're very altruistic, for, for other people who are affected by similar issues as well, that's probably as much if not more of a driver for many of them. And so in that scenario, people are saying, um, you know, I want this. Now that may be very different from the general public who, who doesn't have a specific need. They may have different views. So the important thing to think about when we think about this genomic medicine uh, and, and doing the genomic technology is that we, we should be giving the right to choose to the people who are affected. So I fully respect that many people in the public may have general concerns about this. And I think that's that's fairly reasonable, just as we would about the general public having um, concerns about a variety of, um, of things that may not directly apply to them being done to them. I, I can understand that. But where it can potentially hugely impact on the care, people have very very, very different views. Uh, and, of, and, and that's the thing that we should focus on and that's the thing that we should respect. And of course, they don't have to have the test. They can decide that they don't want that for them or their child. So it's not like they're being forced to do it. But in, in general, those communities want this. And I think that that's, that's the important thing. So uh, again, uh, it seems like uh, ethics has a prominent role in the public health curriculum. So as, as, as just to complete your answer, it seems like genomics, therefore, is not just a technological area of public health, but also something that has a, a big interface with society, ethics, and how we report with the feelings, uh, the interest, and the fears in some cases of the population. So interesting for a public health trainee as a field, you think, in this oh. respect? Uh, I think I think it's very interesting. I also think that one of the um, 
So one of the uh, one of one of the other aspects about this is that actually, in the in the field of genomics, the, the research is actually much much closer to uh, clinical practice. So the two are are, are much closer together. So uh, for example, again, just touching on the rare diseases, uh, when we get a whole genome back from a family, uh, we we look for the known diagnoses, and we've got a a bioinformatics pipeline to check for that. Uh, but then if we don't find a, a diagnosis, it goes into a research pot where uh, uh, academics and clinical academics can access it to uh, to, do, to do further research and, and hopefully gene discovery and hopefully find that diagnosis. So, you know, the, the, the two are very much entwined, uh, and there are a number of interesting ethical challenges that that presents, but I do think it's very much at the forefront of the charge between bringing research and clinical practice much closer together, which, I, again, I, I personally feel uh, is, is an incredibly important direction that healthcare needs to go in. I agree. And um, apart from the masterclass, just to go back into our specific focus on orienting trainees or uh, future trainees, what would you suggest to a public health uh, trainee or a specialist that would like to develop a special professional interest in genomics? So um, there are the, the, the Health Education England program uh, on genomics is is actually very good and has has won various uh, um, uh, sort of accolades for being. Uh, for being so good and so innovative. Uh, and there are a number of opportunities on parts of that. So I direct people towards their their website. Uh, a couple of things I'd specifically like to pull out is that um, at the moment, Health Education England is funding master's courses in genomics. Uh, and in essence, they, they will fund and pay for the, um, uh, the, the master's course, although I, I don't believe that they fund uh, for the backfill, but that is open to both public health and health professionals. So if people wanted to sort of very much go into do a formal study, that that is an option that is open to them as well as other healthcare professionals. Um, but as part of that whole program, there are a whole series of CPD aspects, a number of those modules that are used for the master's courses. Uh, and the, these master's courses are provided across the country, but with a standardized curriculum. Um, uh, there are a number of standalone modules that can be done as CPD. Uh, there's also various MOOCs that are available that can be linked through that, which is sort of online courses. So I, I, I would definitely recommend that that people as a starting point looked there uh, uh, to see if there were options that uh, they could take up there mm -hmm. <laughs> and and does genomics england itself offer placements for trainees interested in this subject uh, during the training so um at the moment because genomics england is a uh, a project there are certain rules about sort of hosting uh, people as in, independently um, uh, in that we couldn't be a national treasure because we're not a long-term organization uh, so in that respect the answer would be no but we have actually had uh, uh, one or two people come to us where they've been based in other organizations and done project work with us uh, uh, and uh, I, I've supported that so, so that's a roundabout way of saying yes but not in a very in a completely formal sense in an agreed sense with your sort of education supervisor and for example uh, uh, do you see 
genomics and skills and analyzing genomic information something that should have a specific and, and self-standing space in the curriculum? Do you think that that will improve the employment prospect of current public health registrars? Um, so I, I think it will be very useful for us to have slightly better skills of doing that. I think that if you look at the um, uh, requirements around us developing uh, rare disease registries, it's going to be an important part of that. Uh, it's going to be an important part of future healthcare records. Uh, we, we do a lot of work in healthcare around assessing the evidence and effectiveness of um, interventions. And I think the statistic is uh, 60% of um, cancer treatments don't work. Well, actually, if we're doing assessments of effectiveness and we believe that personalised medicine is going to have more of an impact, then being able to understand actually what that means and understand that evidence base uh, to analyse the effectiveness uh, of, of personalised medicine approaches means we've got to understand the genomics evidence to a certain level. Uh, the other thing that I would flag is that if you're interested in infectious diseases, then you know, essentially the technology is the same and many of the methods are the same as well. And actually, in terms of outbreak investigations and uh, the surveillance data coming back from uh, uh, the analysis of um, uh, pathogens, people will need those sets of skills in that space as well. So there, there are kind of two different areas where they'll need them, or possibly three. Uh, so <laughs> infectious diseases, uh, surveillance in general, but particularly sort of in the rare diseases space, uh, and healthcare, public health, I think we'll all need to have those skills. Thank you. And this, this is a bit of a ritual question that we've asked at the end of many of the episodes. If you were a registrar with £600 of annual study budget to use, what would you advise to spend it on to improve skills in genomics? Are there any conferences, any other resources that you would recommend to those interested in developing further skills in genomics and public health? Um, so so there, are, there are a number of different conferences that are on around the world at the moment. Um, uh, I, as, as I said, I would probably recommend that the first starting point would be to look at uh, Health Education England's uh, courses, because actually a number of those are free, and so you might want to spend your £600 on something else while still getting the benefit of actually some very, very good resources that are, that are probably the some of the best in the world. So I, I, I would point people towards there first. Well, we, we have concluded the series of questions. Is there anything else that you would like to say, Tom? Um, the one thing I would add, so just thinking, yeah, the, the £600 question, what would you spend your budget on? Um, genuinely, the problem with mm -hmm. me is that through my entire training scheme, I managed to go to lots of conferences because I put in a number of different abstracts. Mm -hmm. I said I was representing the organisation or one of the organisations who paid for the travel. Um, <laughs> so I never actually managed to spend my £600, but I did do all of the education stuff because I, I just sort of thought going along and sitting and listening, that's not enough. You need to do a bit more than that. So <laughs> because of that, I ended up never needing to justify spending the money. Um, so basically, basically be an active participator to, to conferences rather than a passive one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's certainly true. I, I, I was absolutely awful at spending my money. <laughs> and with this last tip for our registrars, we are truly nearing the end of the interview. Is there one last thing that you would like to tell to our listeners before we close, Tom? 
Uh, no, I'm just looking forward to talking to people uh, on the uh, Masterclass day. All right, fantastic. I'll be there, so I'm, I'm looking forward to meet you in person. And I, I heard a lot of my colleagues are, are going to be there as well because genomics has indeed garnered quite some interest in the West Midlands and beyond. I heard from HEE that uh, there's going to be interest uh, coming from all over the country. Which is great news. <laughs> Thank you, Tom, for your time. It's been a pleasure having you here. And see you at the Masterclass. But the episode is not over just yet. We have an extra guest whom we have recorded separately. Annika Seller, another one of the faculty that will be teaching together with Tom on the Masterclass. Hi Annika, welcome to the TIFF podcast. Could you introduce yourself for our listeners? Hello, um, I'm Annika Seller and I'm the Scientific Director of the National Genomics Education Programme. I'm a clinical scientist by background and spent many years working at the Oxford Regional Genetics Laboratories as the director before joining Health Education England. Oh, fantastic. So we, we do have two pretty strong hitters here. <laughs> um, how did the idea of the Masterclass on Genomics came about, if you, have, if you can tell us more about it? Yeah, so the Genomics Education Programme was established back in 2014 and had three main aims. Firstly, to develop resources to support the 100,000 Genomes Project. Secondly, to increase capacity and capability of the workforce, but very importantly, also to transform the wider workforce through awareness raising um, in readiness for implementation of uh, genomic medicine. And one of the first things I got involved in when I joined the programme in 2014 was a public health masterclass. So it seems to me that West Midlands have been very proactive from the start in this area. And so now three years on, we've decided to do another one. So this time round, we'll be inviting more people to attend, including those from outside the West Midlands. And we're also going to be recording our speakers in order to increase our reach, but also give those who attended the opportunity to listen again. Fantastic, fantastic. And this is, this is something that resonates very well with us. They've embraced this podcast uh, as a format for communicating uh, public health and science in general. Yes, and this time uh, round, we're making sure we're pitching our talks at the right level as well. So I think okay. we probably, in our first first attempt, I think we went into too much detail. This time round, we were pitching it at the right level so that people who don't know much about genomics can really engage with the talks. And and Tom was also mentioning the fact that HEE has uh, some more uh, resources. So what is the vision of HEE in terms of developing educational resources online, and in particular genomics? So the Genomics Education Programme currently has a programme of resource development across both the specialist and the general work, workforce. Our website is the go-to place, so um, for anybody interested, they just need to Google Genomics Education and they'll get there. And this is the place where you can sign up for a range of different courses. And our approach has not been to replace or duplicate material that's out there already. And we're not writing textbooks, we're looking for the gaps and we make sure that our resources are tailor-made to specific workforce need. So these include a lot of awareness raising materials like an introduction to genomics and bioinformatics. We're shortly launching our Genomics 101, a series of eight online modules. But we also have more specialist modules. For example, we've got um, a massive open online course on, that we run through FutureLearn on whole genome sequencing. And we also have a range of materials to support the 100,000 Genomes Project. So in the future, we're beginning to develop now educator toolkits for uh, workforce groups such as nurses, and we could extend that to other professional groups. And we're always looking for new ideas and people to work with. 
And so if anybody from public health does want to get in touch with us with some ideas or wishes to write a blog that we can put on our website, we'd love to hear from them. This, this is this is fantastic, and I think it will be very interesting to hear for uh, for our audience, which is made up in particular of public health uh, professionals and trainees. Yeah, the the possibility. I mean, I've asked many questions to Tom. Let's ask again. What do you think in um, in the future genomics will represent in terms of toolkit skill set for public health professionals? So I think it's going to be really important that all public health professionals have an awareness of uh, genomics. So as, as Tom alluded to earlier on, in public health, we're talking about system-wide change. So I think it's important that everybody in public health understands elements of genomics and feels confident and competent to engage in discussion with healthcare professionals and with commissioners, etc., to talk about genomics and how it impacts on their areas of service. All right. So both of our speakers are forecasting a growing role of genomics in the future of public health practice. Better take note. Thank you, Anneke, for participating through this podcast. It's been a pleasure having you here. Is there one last message you would like to convey to our listeners before we close? Yes, uh, this masterclass is a great opportunity for those involved in public health to learn more about genomics and to increase their confidence in this area. If you um, don't get a chance to attend all of the conference or you want to, to listen again, we're recording all of the talks so that you will be able to listen to them at your own convenience and at your own leisure. Um, and hopefully this will be a wonderful opportunity for you to get involved in genomics. Indeed, a truly wonderful opportunity. Thank you again to both of our guests on this episode and see you on the 28th of November at the HE West Midlands Genomics Masterclass at the Cube in Birmingham. Goodbye.